where nobody knows your name is filmed in front of nobody. Hello and welcome to Where Nobody Knows Your Name. We're on episode 21 of season 2. I'll be seeing you, part 1. The title of the episode is derived from the song I'll Be Seeing You, written by Sammy Fain and the lyrics by Irving Cahal in 1938 for the Broadway musical Right This Way. And what happened in that musical, James? No idea. Fair enough. <laughs> the episode aired on the 3rd of May. 1984. This one was written by the Charles Brothers, Glenn and Les, the creators. About time they've uh, written something for the like, writers of the show. They haven't written anything for a while. The uh, beginning of the season. No, but they're back on fine form. I know, it was a really nice episode that we've got ahead. And uh, who's directing? Is it James Burroughs? I'll double check, just in case. I have a hunch it's James Burroughs. Yeah, it's James Burroughs. And again, another good job from James Burroughs. Some nice episodes. Part one, as we've already said, so prepare for a cliffhanger at the end. How do we start this episode, James? As usual, it's on the cold open. Um, I thought this was quite a nice cold open. It's quite sweet. It's that coach is trying to organise a cheers picnic. Everyone likes a picnic. Yeah. We haven't heard about this picnic before. No. The third annual picnic. You know, I thought we would have seen it in season one. At least it's been alluded to before. He, you know, he's looking for a committee. He's been waiting forward to it all year and ends up volunteering for every role himself. Yeah, he goes around, asks if anyone wants to volunteer to talk food. And then he says uh, he put good spread on last year, so carry on this year. Just goes through everything like that. This brings us to the entertainment committee. Uh, who wants to chair this baby? Well, entertainment goes right along with food. Any countries. <laughs> uh, we'll need two captains for the softball teams. Two. Uh, come on, a show of hands, huh? <laughs> well, I, I can handle one team. Any pant, two so. <laughs> okay, so uh, who wants the other? W- one, one more. Well, uh, I'm going to be out there on the field anyway, so. <laughs> Oh, and last but not least, I need somebody to head up transportation. I got it. Now, there'll be a meeting of the committee chairman at my house tonight at 8 o'clock. Please, everybody, try to be on time, huh? What I do like as well, and uh, we'll touch on this as the episode goes on, but this is not just a standalone cold opening. It continues throughout the episode, which is quite nice. It's the B-plot of the whole episode, and it's nice that Coach had his meeting, I assume. Coach with the other coaches. That is how it's going been like being John Malkovich, being Ernie Pantusa. That's a film I would have watched. It would be great if we all had different personalities as well. Angry Coach. An angry Coach, confident Coach, intelligent Coach. He'd be the witty one. With a monocle. Now, what's the A-plot? Sam and Diana are kind of on rocky ground after Sam is in an article. And Diana's uh, very upset that he's being identified as a bachelor after they've been in a relationship for what, like... Better part of a year. Yeah, understandably a bit miffed by that. And uh, that kind of kicks off the whole episode. Yeah, and Sam seeks to make amends to this latest argument to appease Diana. Yeah, he decides that, always encouraged by the rest of the bar, that maybe a gift is the way to sort of smooth over. Like a large wooden horse. That seems like the kind of sneakiness Sam would have in a gift, doesn't it? Even like a Trojan horse? Yes, exactly. Well, he doesn't quite go for a Trojan horse. He goes for a Trojan painter. <laughs> Trojan painter. Norm suggests jewellery, I think. But Cliff says he's got a, he knows a guy. And says that he can set up a meeting between Sam and this oddball painter that Cliff delivers to. Now, oh, that painter is uh, notable. Is he? Didn't you recognise him? I did recognise him. It was, of course, Christopher Lloyd. Christopher Lloyd. Great Christopher Lloyd. He's been on a couple of things. Not to be mistaken for Christopher Lloyd, the 
producer, son of David Lloyd, Cheers writer. That is true. This is Christopher Lloyd of Back to the Future fame. He was also a main cast in Taxi. Exactly. Which I didn't know before. No, he played Reverend Jim. Yeah, like a main role yeah, yeah. in Taxi. There's a great scene uh, where he has to take his driving theory test. <laughs> Does a yellow light mean? Slow down. Okay. One. Yellow light mean. Slow down. Okay. I was surprised to see that Christopher Lloyd sort of got some of his most notable first role, I guess, was in Taxi. Yeah. I know he'd done a bit of film work before. In One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, mm. which was his film debut. Quite a big first film to be in. Yeah. He's also in Star Trek Three, Search for Spock, played Bill Burns in the movie Eight Men Out, Uncle Fester in The Adams yes. Family, as well as making guest appearances in a number of other TV shows. I like to think that the Charles Brothers... Chrissy! Still got him on uh, <laughs> speed up. But uh, notably, it was a year before back future when he was on Chits. I assume he would have been filming around this time. Probably right. Quite interesting how quite an iconic film lined up with his guest appearance in Cheers. Both him and the other star of Back to the Future, Michael J. Fox, was also on a sitcom Family Ties during this time, and he played Alex P. Keaton. Looking back to the future, obviously we never grew up with these sitcoms, but it's interesting to see how close their appearances were to almost what propelled them into public eye, into iconic films which we have seen and we recognise these actors from. Apparently, Michael J. Fox, during the filming of Back to the Future, the night scenes, he was only sleeping about four hours per night because he was filming Family Ties during the day and Back to the Future in the night. I feel like that must be illegal now. Oh yeah, it's it's definitely not allowed anymore. They have contracts for that kind of thing. (laughs) I feel like this guest appearance didn't impact Christopher Lloyd. He he might have been in for maybe two days. I think there's quite a few similarities between him and Doc Emmett Brown. Didn't didn't have to go on the character too much. It was just the wigs that changed. Things were on the topic. Philip Semenko was uh, Christopher Lloyd's character. The painter. He's a bit kind of quirky. He enters the bar. He's dressed in a... An Apache robe. Yes. He makes quite the impression. Maybe a negative impression. On most people, yeah. Uh, Him and Diane seem to have some kind of accord. Yeah, but him and Sam have already struck a bad note. Sam doesn't like him, and he doesn't like Sam. And and we've already seen in this series, Sam loves art, you know? He he loves all the paintings. He He names them if he knows that. Two muscular guys touching fingers. Yeah, which so is a classic. He's been going to all the all the art events with Diane. Yeah, so Sam wants Philip Semenko to paint a picture of Diane and starts offering him pictures so they can see he's disinterested, doesn't interest him to paint Sam's girlfriend, and that's not his art style. He thinks it's beneath him, so he's just letting the pictures drop off the floor when Sam's passed them to him. So he walks away from Sam and rejects his offer, bumps into Diane as uh, as she enters the bar and is he's intoxicated and uh, he wants her to become his new muse. Whatever that means.
Now we touched upon uh, Christopher Roy's character of Philip Semenko a lot there and how he set up the episode. I'll do a quick run through of the other guests. Christopher Cowell as Ed, and he played recurring roles of Judge Stephen Bickle in Boston Legal and Monsieur Coverna on Mad Men and Hitler in the Adam Sandler film Little Nicky, as well as many other film roles, and Steve Gemelli returns as Steve. Sounds like Christopher's done a lot then, quite a diverse uh, casting. Everything from Ed in the background of Cheers to Hitler. In the episode, they talk about various ways that Sam could appease Diane, and they stand on the painting. It strikes a bad note with me that the first act of this episode is all about Sam trying to think of ways to appease Diane, or lying to her about the magazine interview. Ultimately, we find out she was not happy about the interview, whether he lied or told the truth. But it struck a bad note that it helped me lie to my girlfriend. There's a, there's a few um, scenes so far, this throughout the series, where Sam does something, Sam lies about doing something, and then he's worried Diane's going to call up to check the person <laughs> that he said uh, is sort of his alibi. That was a really good example of it, where he faked a relative's death. <laughs> and then she didn't even need to say that she checked on it because that obviously was like. But this time a similar situation happens where he says it's not his fault that the reporter didn't include it in the article. Now he's worried and that's why he kind of feels like he has to get a gift in case she calls. Norm's a bit late for this episode, isn't he? Where's Norm been? Where has Norm been? <laughs> been to the Hungry Heifer. That's right, his favourite restaurant. Well... You say that. He complained about it a bit, actually, didn't he? He complained about it, but still ate everything. Why'd you send it back? Alright, here's another thing. Service stinks. By the time the waiter got there to ask me if everything was okay, I was through. Classic norm. Was he there with Vera, or did he not say? He didn't say who he was with, or whether he was with anyone at all. As the episode goes on, it's revealed that Semenko has perhaps some kind of, maybe a sixth sense, or some other kind of wisdom about what the future may hold for Diane. The shining. Some might say, yes. <laughs> or the shining. As others would say. Sam forbids Diane from getting painted by this man, and Diane says she wants to be. And Semenko, that's kind of his, his prophecy. If you pose for me, it'll drive a permanent wedge between you and that man. So you won't do it? I'll do it for free. Very sinister. But it, it does kind of imply underlying motivations from Semenko. And this kind of actually reminded me of um, Fortune and Men's Weight. It does seem like Diane's fortune that she got from that machine was a prophecy for how this season will play out, really. The prophecy, of course, was deception in romance proves costly. And that's played out throughout, especially the latter half of this season. Lingering in the background, isn't it? Mm. In terms of when the painting was suggested, it kind of started with Carl and Cliff having a little argument of sorts. One of them brought up that um, Bert wanted to paint Sally. Do you know who? No. Well, they were referring to Bert Reynolds and Sally Fields. Okay. Who were in Smokey and the Bandit together. Okay. They were a celebrity couple. Now, I did a bit of research about this Mm. to see how their relationship panned out. Turns out there's a parallels to what Semenko... Christopher Lloyd. (laughs) It wasn't... No, there was parallels to what Semenko was warning of. Okay. Because they broke up, but they'd been separately interviewed. They talked about each other. And Bert said in 2016, she was the love of my life and I screwed the relationship up. That sense of loss never goes away. I have no idea what Sally thinks about it. 
She could pick up the phone and speak to me, but she never does. I spoke to her son recently. He said that his mum talked about me all the time. Maybe she'd phone me one day. I'd love to have that conversation. And the reason he says that is because Sadie had not talked to Burt Reynolds in the last 30 years of his life. He was sad. He died quite recently. And she told the Associated Press after Burt's death that they stay alive even 40 years later. My years with Bert never leave my mind. He will be in my history and my heart for as long as I live. Rest, buddy. And I thought how they spoke of things there was interesting to see how Sam and Diane's relationship could turn out mm. if Sumenko's warnings proved true. That's really interesting, actually. Especially when you like consider that this this writing wouldn't have... They wouldn't have known. They wouldn't have known. It's strange how history has a way of enhancing the writing of the past. Yeah. But yes, Sumenko's prophecy. We'll, we'll see how it goes with this episode. But some powerful words... That's the door, James, and that, that only means one thing. Trivia time. Do you want to pick it off, James? Yeah. What was the exact reason Sam was late for work at the beginning of the episode? Oh, I don't know. On his way to an interview for Boston Magazine for 20 Most Eligible Bachelors, he saw a dog walking on its hind legs. It's probably <laughs> one of the better reasons he's been late. In the uh, article itself, Sam mentioned some political issues. What, what did he say? War is bad. He said uh, he told them his thoughts on nuclear war would be bad news. Oh, Sam, you've stirred up a hornet's nest there. <laughs> really? Well, that, I can always say I was misquoted. <laughs> what was the name of the reporter? I don't know, James. Helen Costello. Helen Costello, I'm not doing well with these trivia this week. We talked briefly about Coach's Picnic Committee. What roles are there in the committee? have to be filled. Food. Yeah. Entertainment. Yeah. Two team captains. Yeah. Transport. You got more gyms. So that's a lot of uh, hats for the coach to wear. When uh, they're looking for someone to paint Diane, coach offers thinking that his hidden talent is art. Turns out it's not. That was his brother's talent. Mm. What is coach's hidden talent? Oh no. I might have a similar. Eating? <laughs> yes. Is it? <laughs> Specifically, eating things that aren't food. Oh, right. I like how uh, his whole baseball career is just side like that. Very coach. We touched there on the fact that Semenko had quite unusual clothing. But where was this outfit from? It was from a tribal gathering. It was an Arapacho ceremonial tunic worn by the village elders when they hold council. Ooh. And he said he earned it by letting them pierce his flesh with wild turkey cooks. Coach replied that his is a JC Penny wash and wear tape of tails. It was expensive, but you then have to go through that. Back to the committee. Coach puts up a little notice asking for committee volunteers. What three names are written? Is it, is it cartoon characters? Two of them have appeared in cartoons. They're probably most famously seen in cartoon form. Okay. Scooby-Doo. No. Let's just hear them change. Okay, Ziggy Stardust. That way. A human. Mad Hatter. Okay. Cartoon form. Alison Miller. Yeah. And Clark Kent. Oh, so Superman. Yeah, also a cartoon. And, and Coach Coach's on the committee. Yeah. That sounds like a great tea party, doesn't it? Yeah, it sounds like quite a good picnic. Three dream guests. Hmm. Ziggy Stardust. The Mad Hatter. Clark Kent. Not Superman. Mm-hmm. Just a journalist for Daily Planet. Yeah. That's the last orders for the drinks in during this episode. How do you feel about this episode? Tense. With a bit of a cliffhanger. It's a plot device, which means you leave the <laughs> audience in suspense. And what, what is the suspense? Will Diane agree to be painted by Semenko? Will Sam find out? Will Cliff stay hanging? 
Overall, I think it was a, a nice episode, but we won't raise a glass for this because it's not complete yet. We'll just pour liquid in our glass, ready to raise. And awaiting the next episode. Having said that, we do have a drinks order. We'll pour that in our glass. Yeah. We'll drink it next time. Our drinks order, from another podcast, by the way. Yeah. Half Smart Podcast. They talk about beer. So do we. They reminisce about times in their childhood, which we do. We've got... Legacy. Yeah. Kind of got common ground a bit here. We talk about cheers. They... They, they their drink. Lives. Yeah, they talk about their lives. You know, it's... Uh, they've got things in common. They've requested a Paloma. Should we give the audience a little recipe? Yeah, I've got it. And you can pour yourself a glass. Join us in the next episode. Yeah, put it in the fridge. This Paloma recipe is brought to you by Difference Guide. What's in it, James? You serve it in a Collins glass. Yeah. I said, what's in it, James? Yeah. Not the glass. What you do is you take 60ml of Patron Silver Tequila, 30ml of freshly squeezed pink grapefruit juice, 15ml of freshly squeezed lime juice, 7.5ml of Aqua Viva Agave syrup. You top up with grapefruit soda. Sounds refreshing. How to make this is you shake all first four ingredients with ice and strain into ice-filled glass. You top with the grapefruit soda and lightly stir. If you wish, you can top it up with a little garnish of a salt rim and a pink or red grapefruit wedge. Sounds delicious. Sounds sweet, but, you know, worth a try. Uh, we'll be drinking that next week when we tune in for the final. Until then, thank you for listening. This has been... Where Nobody Knows Your Name. Mm-hmm.